this morning. And this morning we are going to be uh, starting Luke chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you can turn to Luke chapter 8, verse 1. I've, I've really appreciated the study in Luke. I always appreciate uh, book studies because they help you um, uh, to keep things in context. And sometimes, by the context, you can realize certain things about um, the Scripture that you wouldn't necessarily realize if you were just looking at the chapter on a page. And so, for that reason, I am going to go back to um, chapter 7, verse 48, and read these last couple verses that we read last time. And it says, And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgives sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. The reason I read that is because the first phrase here in the next chapter is, and it came to pass afterward. So he's directly alluding to what just happened. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities um, Mary Magdalene, out of whom were seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him out of their substance. And when much people were gathered together, he came to him out of every city, and he spoke to them a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it, and choked it. And other fell on good ground, and sprang up, and bare fruit, an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he crieth, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, which they hear, receive the word with joy, and those have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fall among thorns are they which, um, when they have heard, go forth, and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring forth no fruit to perfection. But that on good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. May God have his blessing on the reading of his word. Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time that we have 
to open your word. Lord, we know that um, our most feeble attempts merely scratch the surface of what you really want to teach us, but we pray that we would be uh, open. We pray that we would learn what you would have us to learn, and most importantly, we pray that we would be changed from when we came in, always striving, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I, I want to look, first of all, at the first four verses. And one interesting thing that happens when you, when you study a whole book of the Bible, when you start to preach it, is you notice things that we might, perchance, glance over. And Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, is one of those such passages. When God puts something in the Bible, when the Bible has something in there, it's because he wants us to know it. And I think these first few verses are very important in their own way. And it says, And it came to pass afterwards that he went through every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary Magdalene, out of whom he whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered to unto him of their substance. And when much people were gathered together, and were come unto him out of every city, he spoke unto them in parable. I don't want to get too far onto a rabbit trail, but I just want to spend a few moments thinking about these women that were with Jesus. You know, one of the, the chief accusations of the world to conservative Christianity comes about when we talk about the roles that God has for men and women. Because oftentimes when we talk about... Um, uh, the roles of men and women, specifically as it pertains to um, the marriage relationship, we bring up Ephesians chapter 5. And Ephesians chapter 5 is truth. You can, you can argue with God if you want, but God wrote it, so we have a responsibility to follow it. And it says that wives are submit to their own husbands. But then it says, husbands are to love their wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There are many religions of the world to which women are truly subservient. Muslims in particular treat their women as property. The women are supposed to do whatever the man says, under any circumstance. Why do I bring this up? Because the world looks at Ephesians chapter 5 and they say that's what we are purporting. But if you notice, Jesus' interactions with women were ones where he showed respect, where he understood their value and where he showed us their value and these women realized that he valued them, and so they're following him and serving him. 
And I like what it says here because it says, <clears throat> and it says in, in verse 3, that they ministered unto him out of their substance. And I don't think um, the substance was just financial. I think the fact that they were following him meant probably that they did certain things, maybe even some of the cooking or whatever, to make sure that he was cared for. And even though, in the grand scheme of things, that doesn't seem to be that significant, it was significant enough for God to put it in the Bible. Last night I had the privilege of going to the Gaither Homecoming Christmas Concert at the Van Andel Arena. If you ever have a chance to do that, I would encourage you to do so. It was an awesome time. God was glorified, and it was amazing. But one of the, one of the things that happened was Mark Lowry, who's a singer and a comedian and a brother in Christ, he got up and he talked about how someone had imparted to him I think it was Gloria Gaither herself, that she had realized that God is in the interruptions of life. And he talked about how when, when the woman who with the issue of blood came to Jesus, it was kind of an interruption to what Jesus was doing. But that interruption made the Bible. And there's another place. When, when we talked about earlier how the, the man was let down in in the roof and healed from his lameness. We don't know the message that Jesus was preaching that day, but we do know the interruption. But the interruption as we see it was not an interruption to God. Because God knew. Jesus knew that that man was coming. Most Jews go around Samaria because they didn't like the Samaritans. They were half-breeds. Why would they do that? But when Jesus went to the woman at the well, it says these words, He must needs go through Samaria. Jesus knew that the woman at the well would be there. Not only was she a woman, which put her down, even in the Jewish culture, but she was a Samaritan. So I just want us to see that God is showing us just like in the last part of chapter 7. That it's not whether you are a male or a female that matters to God. It's your heart. And so, as we go on, oh, I, and I just wanted to share you with this quote by F.B. Meyer, kind of talking about how the insignificant things, or the, what we perceive as the insignificant things, can in fact be very significant. He says this, Don't waste your time waiting and longing for large opportunities which may never come, but faithfully handle the little things that are always claiming your attention. God put us in a sphere of influence in a place where he wants us for a reason. And I encourage you to be faithful 
to what he, where he has put you and what he has for you to do. And only as we do that can we hope to be faithful and more. Remember what he said to the disciples. You will be my witness is in Jerusalem and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. First, they were his witnesses in Jerusalem. Then they were driven out of Jerusalem and they spread throughout the world and it says they turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. But it started in Jerusalem. Maybe God has laid on your heart foreign missions and there's nothing wrong with that. If God has called you to that, cling tightly to that calling and... and do what you need to do to prepare. But let me tell you this. If you're not sharing the gospel here in the United States of America, what makes you think you're going to share the gospel when you get to the jungle? Share the gospel here and prepare to share it with people who have never heard. At least for many people in, in Western culture, we at least have a starting point. Most of them have heard of Jesus Christ Many of them can even tell you that he died on the cross. But it is our job as ambassadors of the cross here in the United States to show them and let them know that it's not just about him dying on the cross, but it's the fact that he died there for me and for you that allows us to have salvation. Alright, so let's look at the next few verses. Um... Actually, I wanted to look at a cross-reference real quick, and then we'll go on to the next point. John, chapter 19, verse 25. John 19, 25. If someone can read that when they get to it, I would appreciate it. Alright, now we just read about Mary Magdalene, and now we're reading about her again. This is just showing her faithfulness, her devotion to her Lord. I find it kind of interesting that most of the disciples left, but these women are standing at the cross. What a testimony it is to them. And they didn't just stand there for a few minutes and leave either. They stayed the whole time. And it says that when he was taken down from the cross and put in the tomb, some people say, well, maybe the women the next day, they went to the wrong tomb and that's why it was empty. No. It says specifically in the scriptures, the women knew where he was placed because they saw him put there. They saw where Jesus was put. And so they knew when they saw the empty tomb and they talked to the angels. They knew that he was alive. Alright. Luke chapter 8 verses 5 to 9. A sower went out to sow his seed and as he sowed some fell by the way side and was trodden down. And the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell upon the thorns. 
and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked, saying, What might this parable be? And I'm so glad that we have the Holy Spirit interceding for us, guiding us into all truth now. Because in some ways, looking back at this scripture, which was written thousands of years ago, I kind of wonder why they would ask that, because it seems so obvious. But I also like the honesty of the disciples, that they didn't want to presume that they knew, and so they asked. See, sometimes we get into this mode that God doesn't want us to ask questions. We kind of have that thought. I don't think that's the lessons that God wants to teach us. He is willing to answer questions. What He does not want is for us to ask questions with an attitude that we already know the answer or an attitude that says we don't care about the answer. But honest questions He wants to answer. When Thomas doubted that He had risen, he didn't say, you know, you are crazy, Thomas. I'm never going to use you again. No. He met Thomas where he was. He did address his foolishness, but he did so in a gentle manner. Why? Because he knew that Thomas's heart was open. And as we look at this passage, I just think about the practicalness of it. If you are going... To have a successful garden, maybe some of you do garden. And here I know my brother does. My brother Bartholomew gardens. First thing he has to do every spring before he plants that garden is he needs to get out the rototiller. And he needs to till the ground. And he needs to make sure that it's ready to receive the seed. And then when it receives the seed, then he has to go out there. And he has to make sure that there's no weeds there. And that can be sometimes a daily task to make sure that the weeds don't grow up because for some reason weeds grow faster and better than anything else. If, if you could get a prize for weed growing, I mean, I'm sure many of us could, be, could excel in that area. But the reason there's no prize for weed growing is because it is so easy. You know, sometimes we give the wrong impression to people of the Christian life. We say, well, if you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, everything's going to be smooth. He's going to answer all of your questions and nothing is going to be hard. Do you know what? When I was five years old, I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And I was in a wheelchair. And the next day, he was my Lord and Savior, but guess what? The wheelchair was still there. And the day after that, it was still there. And as I grew, and as I watched my siblings running and playing and doing all this stuff, and as I watched my brother 
get his driver's license. And as I graduated with my brother, who was a year younger than me, because academics were a little tougher for me, as I've watched my siblings get married and have children when they're all younger than me, as I watch my little baby sister who I prayed for for 11 years, raising her family in Hawaii, I realize that even though all these things, or all, all these people have been able to do these things before me, or better than me, or instead of me, that God is still good. God didn't promise me an easy road. But He promised me that He would be with me through it all. And let's, let's look at this parable a little bit. We see the sower goes out. We don't really know why he just kind of scattered the seed. It doesn't seem like he did a lot of preparation, but that's not really the point necessarily of what Jesus is saying here. But the point rather is that it is imperative to us to a certain extent. Of course, we know that no one can come to God except the Father draws him. But it, it is incumbent upon us to a certain extent to prepare our hearts. What was it that John said? He said, prepare your hearts and give fruit, meat to repentance. Why did he say that? Because if you don't do that first, nothing that Jesus says is going to matter to you. Remember, these religious leaders, they... They had a hard time getting it. Even Simon. But these women. Who didn't have a whole lot to speak of. They realized that they were nothing without God. And so God reached out. And came to them in special ways. This harlot, this sinner as Simon calls her. Which is ironic. Because isn't that the whole point? I had a friend that I worked with for many years. I'm still praying for her. I still hope she comes to the gospel. But she told me once when I shared the gospel with her at work, she said, I don't think I could ever be worthy of that. I could never be good enough for that. And I said, that's the point. Neither could I. And so as we look at this parable, we see that Jesus is talking about different responses to the Scripture. The first one. It falls by the wayside, not really in anywhere particular. And so it doesn't have anything to stick into. And the birds find it and they devour it. 
And then it says, some fell on the rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. What do your plants need to grow? They need roots. They need to be able to sink deep into the soil. Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 2 that we need to be deeply rooted in Christ. Firmly established. Not just surface Christians. And there's a lot of people today that name the name of Christ that are not believers. Why? Because the Christian life is a lifestyle, not just a name. The Christian life needs to permeate every fiber of our being. When I was in Toastmasters, I got some complaints from people in the club because all of my speeches went back to Christ. And the reason is that Christ is my life. I can't not speak about Him. That is why I'm preaching today, because if I did anything else as a primary thing with my life, I would not be doing what I'm called to do. The desire to preach the Word of God and to share it with you burns into my soul. I have to be sharing Jesus Christ. And sometimes it doesn't even, it's not even blatant. I had a cousin who's not a believer, who I didn't talk to personally all that often, but one day she sent me a Facebook message and she said, Stop sending me your Christian garbage. But that's the way that I see life, that's the filter through which my life. Goes. And I'm, I'm not perfect. Ask anybody who lives with me. They'll be glad to tell you. And, and you'll be here all day. But the point is, I am forgiven. And I long to see other people forgiven. And then, some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And then the disciples who are listening to this parable, they're asking Jesus what the meaning is. And the first thing he says is, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. How powerful is that, that unto us the followers of Jesus Christ is to be known the mysteries of God. Jesus said in John chapter 15 that I call you no more servants, but I call you friends because a servant does not know what his master does, but everything that my master is doing I have told you because you are my friends. And then He's telling us what the meaning of this parable is. Luke eight ten to fifteen. <clears throat> Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that they seeing might not see, and hearing they might not understand. It's I think it's kind of like 
with, with Adam and Eve and, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God was trying to protect Adam and Eve. And they saw it in a different way. They saw it as he was restricting them. And then you, you see the different descriptions. It says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should be saved. And you know, it's kind of ironic, but there was one in their midst who was like that. That was Judas Iscariot. Can you imagine walking with Jesus physically for three years and not realizing that he was the son of God? And yet that is Judas' story. And then they on the rock are they which hear, which receive the word with joy, and they have no root. And they believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. And they that fall among thorns are they which have heard and go forth and get choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. So you have these people, and I think this happens a lot in our culture with our easy believism. We tell people, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, which is true. But we act like it's the walking the aisle or the saying of the words that makes the difference. But instead, it is the knowing of the word, Jesus Christ. And we tell people that they are part of the kingdom of God rather than allowing them to tell us that they are part. We also don't stress a life change. I know a couple of people that a few times a year they'll, they'll put out these really spiritual sounding Facebook pages. And again, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not spiritual all the time. I wish I could say I was. But what I'm saying is some of these people, they curse and take God's name in vain on a regular basis and write about getting drunk and doing all kinds of evil things as if it's good. And then a couple times a year, they write posts that try to make you believe that they are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, lest I discourage you too much, I want you to realize that I believe that it is possible for a believer to struggle. I'm not saying that it's not. But please know that if you are a believer and you are struggling and you need help, reach out to someone. <clears throat> and for us on the other side, or for those on the other side, realize that if someone reaches out to you, they are choosing to be vulnerable to you because they need help, not because they need you to dress them up one side and down the other. 
and shame them. I said this last time, I'm going to say it again, because I think it bears repeating. We're supposed to be known by our brotherly love. They're supposed to know we're Christians by our love for one another, but instead many people today think of our brotherly shove. I want to encourage you toward love and leave the shoving to the world. But then, the good news, for those who hear the word and believe it and embrace it, it says, but that on good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. I think it's kind of interesting that patience is there. Why? Because it doesn't happen overnight. Patience is important to the Christian life, and yet one of the more dangerous prayers to pray is, Lord, give me patience, because He doesn't give you patience right away as some magical potion. Rather, He gives you opportunities to be patient, which were the very thing that you were actually trying to avoid in your prayer. But that's the way we think, humanly speaking. Life is not a bowl of cherries, but I can tell you this, that your life will be more abundant if you trust Jesus Christ. Because He might not take you out of your circumstance, but He will walk with you through it. On your own time, I would encourage you to look at Colossians 1.10. And then Colossians 1, 23 to 29. We won't read them today. But I just encourage you because they talk more. And even Colossians 2. More about this Christian growth. About how you need to be established in the faith. It needs to be a priority with you. Even I need to make this even more of a priority. I want to share with you this poem by Abram Kuyper in closing. I think it kind of sums up what we've talked about today about the Christian journey. Abram Kuyper said, I am not sent a pilgrim here, my heart with earth to fill, but I am here God's grace to learn and serve God's sovereign will. He leads me on through smiles and tears, grief follows gladness still, but let me welcome both alike since both work out His will. No service in itself is small, none great though earth it fill, but that is small that seeks its own, and great that seeks God's will. Then hold my hand, most gracious Lord, guide all my doings still, and let this be my life's one aim, to do or bear Thy will. There is not an inch of any sphere of life which Jesus Christ the Lord does not say, Mine. That really convicted me this week, and I really think that that is worth considering. I may even hang that up somewhere where I can look at it 
regularly because it's a good reminder. The reason I'm here is not for my own. But just like my master said, I'm come not to do my own will, but the will of my Father who sent me. He sent the disciples out to do His will, telling them that they would be persecuted. And when they were persecuted, they went back to be with each other, to be edified, to be encouraged. And then they praised God for the ability to be persecuted and asked for more boldness. There's two things I want to mention just as I close about that. First of all, they had to go back to get encouragement. May our churches be that place of encouragement where we can go away from the world, where we can get encouraged, where we can be prepared to go back out into the world to be more bold for Jesus Christ. So first of all, our churches need to be places of encouragement. And second of all, we need to pray for more boldness. And if we pray for boldness and opportunity, God will give it. I just, I hope that you have been encouraged this morning. How that you've been challenged, I know I have. And I will be praying that God will help you as well as myself to learn what it is He wants us to learn. To prepare our hearts to be the good soil so that we can bear fruit a hundredfold. Remember He said, Without me you can do nothing. But then he says, with me you can bear much fruit. Not just a little, much. And it doesn't mean that it will be visible here on earth. But it does mean that if you are faithful to him, there may very well be people in heaven. When you get there, maybe even people you don't even know about yet will be there because you are faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're a mom, the best thing you can do is to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ and share it with your children. My mom was a stay-at-home mom basically her whole life. And some people look at that and they say, well, was it because you couldn't do anything else? But you know what, my mom has direct influence over the potential of 11 families. Because she was faithful to God's call. My dad, the same thing. He was faithful to God's call. He's a man who loves the Word of God, who stands on the Word of God, even when it costs him. And because of that, because of his example... That's who I aspire to be. And I would encourage you, 
Ministry starts with your family. And after your family is in order, and as you have sought God with your family and imparted what He has for you to give to your family, then He can use you in greater spheres. Much like He expanded the ministry of the early church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for the Word of God. We thank You for this parable of the sower. We pray that we would glean from it. We pray that You would prepare our hearts to be the good soil, which will take in Your Word and will use it and will bear fruit a hundredfold. I pray a blessing upon each of these people here, and I pray that You would give us a Merry Christmas thinking about God becoming man and a wondrous new year knowing that it's another year to serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.